Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Brendan Keeney, Artistic Director and Chief Executive of Dance East, a dance class facilitator and theater venue. Brendan, hello. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, Now, normally, I'd like to head straight over uh, to uh, the concept of leadership. Uh, But considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has this affected your business? Well, I I can't pretend it's uh, been anything other than devastating. Um, uh, We're, you know, we're down, but we're not out. Uh, Clearly, it's very difficult to imagine uh, dance in this uh, environment of social distancing. Um, and so we've had to pretty much close down all our activities. And that includes uh, dance classes for the public and for uh, young people, particularly those thinking about uh, entering dance as a career. Um, we've stopped um, uh, teaching. We teach on a university course here in Suffolk. Uh, we've uh, had to stop all our performances. And we've had to stop artists working in, in, in the building. Um, so basically, our building at the moment uh, is completely empty. I'm, I'm here today. The head of ops is in and the head of communications. But there's nobody in. We've got uh, several very beautiful uh, dance studios and all empty. And you know, there's no public in the building, no artists in the building. And uh, more critically, we're, you know, we're, we're not aware as yet when we're likely to be able to get back and up and running. Having said that, like you know, so many other art providers, we've you know we've got we've started an online program. We started it from day one of lockdown, uh, providing uh, classes online for for people, and uh, we've also started things like uh, chats with people. And um, uh, next week we're going to be working with a dance company to present a, a work that was premiered here at the Dance House several years ago. So it'll be a sort of a reminiscence and look back. So we've, we're trying to provide online content. We're trying to provide some activity. But it's nothing like what it was um, back in February. Do you see yourself having a plan for reopening, or uh, is this still up in the air? It's very much. I mean, we have any number of plans. We've sort of any number of scenarios. I think there's a sort of a growing consensus, and this is across drama as well as dance, that it's probably going to be 2021 before we see anything like what would be considered a return to a normal program. Our plan is probably we will be doing things in the autumn, but they won't be the things that we originally scheduled to do. There's several reasons for that. One is, you know, we don't know when we'll be allowed to open. We still don't know. But more critically, we present new work and the supply chain has broken. That new work would have been made, being made now at this, this time. And of course, it's not being made because dance artists aren't, aren't working. So, uh, not only even even if we could open in September, lots of the activities that we had planned to present in the autumn just aren't going to be there and are not going to be made. Mm. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question: What does the word leader mean to you? Well, it's really interesting uh, because I think it, you know I think well uh, leader. Can, it's not necessarily the person who's in charge. It's, I think we, 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 all, we, we all play 
leadership roles and we are all leaders that at different times in, in, in all, all sorts of uh, uh, environments and in places and uh, contexts. Um, and um, we actually run a, a, a forum for leaders. It's a, a rural retreat here here in, in Suffolk for, and it ranges for people who are leading some of the largest dance companies in the world through to people who uh, want to run the largest dance companies or actually want to we talk a lot about you know how leadership starts and it starts you know at a very early age and you know we see our parents being leaders we see our peers being leaders we see uh, our, 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 our brothers and sisters being leaders and sometimes we are leaders ourselves so I think you know, a leader uh, can be anybody at any time who who, who takes a series of actions uh, that, that provides those around with 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 direction. Now, tell me, um, how do you uh, come about your own day to day leadership style? What is it, and and how did you come to that place? It's, I mean, I, I think, think most leaders nowadays want to say that they have a consensual style, and, but we are listeners, etc., etc. And I think some of us are more successful at that uh, than others. And um, I. I I was very lucky. I uh, I went to work at the Arts Council after working as a, a dance artist, um, and it sort of a fairly abrupt change for me. So I, I was sort of catapulted into a world, an office world, when I mostly inhabited a studio world, um, and uh, I worked with uh, a woman called Sue Hoyle, who then went on to run. Uh, the Claw Leadership Program, which is a leadership program for for the arts. Um, so in many ways, I, I I felt like I had my own my very own Claw Leadership Program before there was such a thing as a Claw Leadership Program. And I think one of the first things I learned, and this was very different actually from a lot of dance practice that I'd witnessed in the studios. Um, Sue was a very quiet person who didn't really tell you what to do, but actually sort of let the information unfold and let you find out stuff for yourself. Um, I, I remember afterwards saying, you know, it would often be sort of almost a week before you realised that actually you were in trouble with Sue because she was so subtle in the way that uh, she explained things to you. Um, but you always wanted to please her and you always went that extra mile. So it was, I think, it was a really great lesson for me in the fact that actually you don't have to be a loud leader. You don't have to shout. You can listen. Uh, you can uh, you can admit that you don't know what to do at a time in front of people, and that doesn't mean to say that you're a bad leader. So it was all sorts of uh, really extraordinarily useful tips on how to conduct yourself as a leader. But I think probably you know just like everybody, I think you develop your own leadership style um, as uh, you know as. Uh, the obligations and, 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 your, and, and your context changes. Now, of course, one of the most difficult aspects of leadership uh, within any sort of organization is when uh, relationships are strained. Of course, uh, we, we all know that humans aren't infallible. Uh, they can get on each other's nerves. They can get into conflict with one another. What is your uh, method for resolution of conflict? Well, I think, you know, dialogue is obviously incredibly important. I also think sometimes it's important to recognize that, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if people aren't willing 
to change, then there's nothing much you can, you know, some situations can be resolvable. Um, so I think mostly uh, I try to uh, find a, a, a passive path through a complicated situations. And actually, I think, you know, clearly, you know, the role of a leader also is, you know, to, to make sure they get the right team around them. And if you have the right team around you, it's much easier to deal with difficult situations. Um, I'm, I'm a great believer in, you know, um, the, the, the you know, counsel from your colleagues. Um, I think uh, I, there's, a, there's a great uh, uh, a little YouTube thing that, go, that sort of went viral some years ago, which is which is about the first follower. And it's about her, it's a, a, a very short monologue with a film and it's a person dancing in a park and um, it's about how important the first person was in joining that person in the park um, and how once one person had joined, more people followed. And actually the, the, the clue to good leadership wasn't simply being a good leader, it was also the role sort of those people around that good leader and in particular the first follower. And I think actually having the right team around you makes it possible to deal with complicated situations. I think it's very difficult mm. when you're by yourself to, to, to deal with difficult situations. If you can find people to give you the right counsel, to talk to you, to help you through stuff, um, and, and actually finding a consensus amongst a group of people, it's, easy to do, it's much easier to deal with the difficult stuff. Now, unfortunately, one of the difficult things we have at this moment in time is that we are out of it. Um, now, before I let you go, um, what does the next 12 months have in store for Dance East? Well, uh, you know, everybody says, um, you, you, you know, you can't, without wishing to sound trite or trivializing, trivializing the situation, you shouldn't waste a good crisis. And I think there, you know, there is a loss of learning from this situation for us about how, uh, how we look after the, the marginalised in society, how we look at digital and how actually, you know, we, we now realise there's a route to people that we hadn't been exploiting in, in the past. We also, I think, you know, lots of us realise that actually we haven't been very good custodians of the planet. When, you know, we've been enjoying... Uh, so there's, there's, there's lots of learning from uh, the, uh, the, the, the awful situation we're in at the moment and uh, we intend to harvest them and use them. Well, Brendan, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's been absolutely fantastic uh, to have you on the show. Um, and, you. of course, you must come back when things get back to normal and update us on everything that you and the team at Dance East are up to. Thank you. Thank you. That was Brendan Keeney, Artistic Director and Chief Executive Officer of Dance East. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team 
when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you 
that the business is well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And, um, uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make it again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just... Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back on an earlier earlier question for me: that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You... We have some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.